Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Kingdom Casts podcast, and we're back with you for the week of September 16th in the year 2020. Joining us once again is Sandra. Turns out Captain America may be my favorite invader after all. Swindle. No. (laughs) I'm Stan Daniel. With me, as always, is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. Well, this past weekend, it appears that our good friend Chris Evans, Captain America, raised the old flagpole to see who'd salute. It happens. <laughs> Does it, Albert? How many times has it happened to you? To <laughs> None publicly. <laughs> yeah. I've managed not to Instagram myself. <laughs> In regards to this, though, we'd like to thank the following people for immediately alerting us through email, Facebook, and other sources to the Chris Evans situation, Aaron, Jake, Renee, Lanny, and Franklin. And we wish to acknowledge, notice that I said acknowledge, not thank, OG Deadpoolster, Val, and Ken for sending us the actual picture and just FYI for future reference. That really was not necessary. And finally, a shout out to my wife, Denise, who has been trying to find out where to buy Super Soldier Serum ever since E! Online alerted her to the situation. (laughs) Nobody alerted me, so I completely missed it. (laughs) We told you. (laughs) At work. Like, I can go searching for this at work. I sent the text message at work. (laughs) Yeah, you work at a library, Sandra. There are tons of public computers. <laughs> Just say, excuse me, cover my shift. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Perhaps you should mention how he recovered from he, this uh, faux pas. He covered very nicely. Mm-hmm. Now that I have your attention, don't forget to vote on November 3rd. <laughs> he, he was he was quite clever about that. He was mm-hmm. quick on the draw. You know, there are several reactions, but the, the most notable ones came from his own brother and from Mark Ruffalo mm-hmm. in reference well, that, to Well, that like there was no drama attached to it or other people involved it was just ah here's a picture oh i didn't mean to do that it was clearly it wasn't even really a picture man it was tacked on it was one of these things that after you post something to instagram he posted a video of him playing a game with family members to instagram and at the end of it the clip came up on the phone showing most recent pictures or something like that and it was just a little minuscule thing that uh, well the picture. <laughs> the picture mm-hmm. was. I mean, it was on a grid of pictures, but he's making America great again. And so, <laughs> see, see how we worked around to that. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, we're like really hard up for any type of thing 
that we'd consider entertainment. So <laughs> this is one of those he didn't do it on purpose. He handled it very well. And damn, if I was Chris Evans, try to keep clothes on me. <laughs> anyway, that's out of the way. So we've made our required jokes. And now that we've got the Chris Evans Captain America stuff out of the way and thanked the people that went out of their way to make sure we were up on all the latest nudity, we've got a couple of other emails out there. Let's start with a fun email. Stan, Sandra, and Lord Albert. Lord Albert, and they capitalized Lord, too. Stan, have you gotten the Razor Crest Lego model yet? Yes, yes, I do. It is sitting here on the table next to me. What is that? It's the Mandalorian's ship from Mandalorian. You got that Nintendo? No. No, I don't have that Nintendo. I'm not doing the Nintendo ones. I only do the Star Wars ones. Well, you can play Star Wars games on Nintendo consoles, so it's sort of the same thing. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Corby, I do have the Razor Crest Lego model. I have not put it together yet. I was going to attempt to film it and see how that goes. Let it use it as the test run for one of our YouTube things we wanted to do. Corby, however, has built his and attached some pictures. Very nice. Very nice. And he says it was fun. I don't remember decals ever being a part of the Lego sets I built as a kid. Is this something new? Corby, yeah, it's new, but it's also not new. They've had decals for at least, God, I'm going to say 15 years now, for at least 15 years now. Then Corby goes on. The season two trailer of The Mandalorian drops this week. Looks awesome. Out of these three choices, Albert, The Mandalorian, the last four episodes of Clone Wars, and Rogue One, which is the best piece of Star Wars content in your opinion? I'd also like Stan and Sandra's opinion as well. Would you say Mandalorian, you're, Clone you're, Wars, and what else? The Mandalorian, the last four episodes of the Clone Wars, the Ahsoka thing, and Rogue One. Why is Rogue One on there? Because those were his picks. Also I'm going to go Rogue with standing movie. Phantom Menace. <laughs> Sandra, what's your opinion? <laughs> I'd say, I, realistically, I'd probably say Clone Wars. I'd give it, I'd give the edge to Clone Wars. The last four episodes of Clone Wars. Yeah, right. Mandalorian, Sandra. Mandalorian all the way. Mandalorian. Man, I've been thinking about this ever since I read Corby's email, and I don't know. That's those are three really tough choices for me. I'd probably go Man, uh, Mandalorian being my first choice. And that may be because I've watched the Mandalorian trailer repeatedly today. Mandalorian would be my first choice. My second choice would be Rogue One and then the last four episodes of Clone Wars. But that is a tough decision. You pick three of the best points of Star Wars there, Corby. Then Corby goes on to ask, X-Men number 11 might be the best issue of the series so far. He loved the Magneto stuff, says that that may be his favorite line of the year. And that he loved how Hickman basically dealt with the salad threat with only one mutant. Corby's last question is, Sandra, what is your opinion on the Dune series? I enjoyed the first book, but when I tried to continue the series, my eyes crossed and I couldn't get through the next book. But I'm willing to give it a second chance. I'm actually excited for the new movie. The kid they have playing Paul is an outstanding actor. And he urges us to check him out on Netflix's The King. So, Sandra, (laughs) 
I hear exactly where you're coming from. It took a, a huge amount of self-discipline for me to finish reading the first three books. I agree. First one is the best one, but even in the first one, there would be some great adventure stuff and characters and stuff. And then we got to the part where I think Herbert was doing drugs and like all the trippy stuff and all the time travel and the meditation stuff would come in. That happens in the next two books also. Albert is talking about Star Wars yet? (laughs) (laughs) But I will say that... I will say that there's some interesting things happening to the characters that survive in the next two books. But after I finished Children of Dune, I said, no, I just can't do any more. There'd be some great stuff, the characters, plot, etc. And then the trippy stuff started and it was a little bit much for me. Stan, did you say you tried to read the first one and couldn't finish it? Oh, God, no. Now, and keep in mind, at that point, I had been burned by the Lord of the Rings because that Church of Christ cult school that I was in, when they decided that Tolkien was against God, but they had had it in their library all the way up until I was doing a book report on it and dared to ask questions about the Hobbit weed and the Middle Earth and so on and so forth. And then they removed all Tolkien from the (laughs) library. And I just knew they were hiding something great from me. So I went out and got the Lord of the Rings and powered all the way through it, only to find they were hiding absolutely nothing from me. They didn't understand the books. So, yeah, then I turn around. There's this Dune movie being called The Next Star Wars. I go to see it. They hand me a vocabulary sheet. I didn't care for the movie, but I thought maybe that's because I haven't read the books. I think I got maybe three chapters in to the first book, and then I bailed. Well, see, I want to say at some point I may have tried to read the book and dropped out somewhere in it because I remember stuff in Dune that I, that just offhandedly, and I'm pretty sure I remember reading it in a book, but I don't remember finishing the book. That's probably everybody that has the book of Dune on their shelves except Sandra. No, no, <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, the book came out in the 60s. It was perfect for the 60s. People were getting into trippy stuff and meditation and all that. Anti-circumcision. Uh, LSD thing. And yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, it, boxes it, and- it is definitely. Uh, yeah. Fear is the mind killer. It's definitely a book that you could tell whatever it came out of. But I mean, it has so many other things. And some of that trippy stuff is his way of dealing with precognition explaining how Paul sees the various futures. There's a whole lot of science fiction concepts. that. I mean, it's a seminal book. It had a bit, just like Tolkien had a big effect on every fantasy novel that came after it. Dune had an effect on a lot of sci-fi and fantasy that came after it. I mean, it has the various houses and the political units. It's a good book. The first book is a good book. I recommend everybody at least try the first book. You might have to space yourself out depending on what your level of trippiness is. Now, Hickman likes Dune a lot. Yeah. So I guess the real question here is, Sandra, why do you hate yourself? (laughs) It's not that I hate myself. Did you say Hickman likes Doom? Dune. He likes Doom. He He also likes Doom. He really likes Doom. Doom He may like Doom, too, but he has talked about Dune. And I'd be down time. for Dune. I'd be down for Doom taking over Dune. <laughs> I could have swore I read somewhere that the new movie doesn't even cover the book. The first book? Yeah. I don't know. A lot of it was in that trailer. 
Yeah, that's what I started to say. That yeah, there's too much of it in there. Yeah, that concludes our Dune talk for this podcast. <laughs> let me just say, <laughs> let me just say that if you've read the first book, you kind of want to figure out what happens to the characters because it's but in the movie, just like in the first book, it kind of like ends there, and you're really like, well, blah, 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 blah. so. I have a quirk that if I start a book, it has to be pretty bad for me not to finish it. I have the same quirk. <laughs> I don't even think I have Dune on the bookshelf anymore. <laughs> I'm sure your library has it. Uh, and I am going to watch that actor that plays Paul Atreides in The King, because that's about Henry V, I believe. I did look that up after he recommended it, and I yeah. thought, okay. So yeah. I put it in my to-watch list. Yeah. Corby signs off. Albert, as ever, your minions or cultists or followers stand ready to follow you into the abyss if you so command. Best regards, Corby, High Inquisitor of the First <laughs> Ecumenical Church of Our Glorious Lord and Savior, Albert Marsh. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> we are already in that abyss. <laughs> Following is a moot point. And there ain't no, it ain't no getting out. The next email was, not that Corby's wasn't serious, but the next email is on a more serious subject. I saw Mulan. Yes, I paid the extra $30 for my family and myself, as it was cheaper than our going to the movie theater to see it. I do not feel it in any way means I support China. It is impossible to purchase things that do not have any connection to China, as you each said in the last podcast. The current favorite pastime of Americans seems to be tearing things and others down. Hatred of each other has replaced sports for our entertainment. It is a sad state of affairs when a movie that inspires young women and holds family values at its core is derided and chastised for doing the same thing every company does today. It all falls under the what offends us today and what can we hate today categories. I was happy to have both of my girls watch the film multiple times and hope they take with them the positive message this story offers. Thank you for your time, Emily. Did you make that up, Stan? No, I had trouble hmm. reading it. <laughs> <laughs> if if I make something up, I practically got it memorized so I can just swim through it. <laughs> no, this was an actual email address and she signed off her full name, but I'm just saying her first name, Emily. She seems very sincere about it. But Albert, don't worry, because there's immediately there's a counterpoint to it that came in before Emily's email. Here's the counterpoint. Albert's right. Burn it all down. Roly Ollie. <laughs> Roly Ollie. Yep. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I told you both uh, the last podcast, the Moulin Rouge episode, it got downloaded twice in Hong Kong. And the way it's listed in the thing is Hong Kong province of China. At least two people heard us over there. And it's kind of a wake up call. If you do a search on Hong Kong, I'm sure it would have come up. Or move oh. on because they want to know yeah. what an Amer what our opinion is. Well, I also uh, chag China in it. Okay, 
So the whole made, country. He he tagged the whole country. Yeah. The entire country of China. <laughs> All and that was well, crazy. There, Four billion of them. There is. I saw it on CNN. I can't remember who it was now, but they did a little segment on the movie and Disney's acknowledgments, uh, thank yous, or whatever at the end. CNN's owned by Warners, and yeah, most of their outlets are the ones trashing it around the clock to call attention away from the failure of the movie Tenant. <laughs> So, and it's multiple ties to unsavory well, the, situations. No, the the tenant thing is them trying to fulfill Nolan's contract, even if the movie's not really making anything right now, oh. just so they can go ahead and fast track it on streaming. Well, yep. I don't think Mulan is doing that well, is it? Mulan did not do as well as expected in China, but it's more than holding water. In other words, they're going to make their $200 million back off of it. And another side note to that, and I don't want to get in a new, another Mulan situation, it turns out that the only thing filmed in China were sceneries. None of the actors were filmed in China. They just took shots of the land in that province and all of the shooting with the actors was done in New Zealand, which we also said last time. Well, yeah, but I think the part where they got into trouble is all the thinking. Yeah. Thank you to the police force. Thank you for letting us shoot all of this next to the concentration camps and that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm adding all that stuff, but well, yeah, they uh, didn't shoot. That's where they got in. That's where they you got. Think they trouble. got some pictures of them concentration camps. No, they didn't get pictures of the concentration camps or anything of the sort. I think Emily's right, I, and I think this is a very dangerous thing. Mulan aside, without sports, which I used to lament all the time, but without sports or any major outlet for the American populace, the pastime has become hating each other and finding flaws in things and trying to tear it down. Oh, we've always hated each other. Well, yes, but apparently that's what the sports was there for. (laughs) I'm going to stop short of thanking Nick Saban. (laughs) Yeah, let's not go there. I mean, I understand that both sides, to me, have a point. Yeah, but I have the moral high ground, so I win. No, all you've got is Wooly Ali telling, saying, Albert's right, burn it all down. (laughs) I mean, that was it. That was the entire email. Albert's right. Burn it all down. And Raleigh Ali is actually his email, part of his email address name. He didn't sign off on it or anything. He, she. (laughs) They both have a point. But again, you stop one, you got to stop it all. And the problem is the world economy is unfortunately too dependent on China at this point. One final note before we move on from the subject of Mulan. This little bit of news that we just got affects more than Mulan. Albert, you said you weren't familiar with Seven Park Data. Sandra, have you ever heard of them? No, no, I haven't. Seven Park Data is who everybody goes to, from Warner Brothers to Disney to Paramount to CNN to Fox News, Walmart, Home Depot, Dunkin' Donuts, Coca-Cola, all of them use seven-part data. I was only familiar with the name because I've seen it repeatedly in things like The Hollywood Reporter and Variety and a couple of things here and there. But basically, they're a ginormous analytical firm that everybody goes to, and they maintain the status quo on a lot of situations. There's them, and I think there's two other major ones. Seven Park Data got permission from Disney. Disney has not stepped forward to say anything, but Disney gave the okay that they could release the information. 
nearly 29% of households, United States households, that subscribe to Disney Plus purchased the $30 Mulan film through September 12th. This blew out all other popular and free titles on the platform, on Disney Plus's platforms. You're talking, just to kind of break this down, what that means is the very conservative side of this is that Mulan just put $260 million directly into Disney's pocket. In order for Mulan to have done the same, it would have had to pull in $475 to $500 million at the box office through theaters. But because theaters are not involved, the money went directly into Disney's pocket. And again, Seven Park Data is saying these are conservative estimates on what it's done. That means that this has been a major blow dealt to movie theaters and movies as we know them. Look for Warner Brothers to put Wonder Woman in a similar format on HBO. Or they won't necessarily put it on HBO Max due to the issues that HBO Max has with Amazon Fire and their availability to get into households. But it behooves them to go ahead and stream it directly with a $30 price tag. Same thing with Black Widow as well. Well, I don't know about that. They pushed back the theater date on Wonder Woman, which I took it to mean that they were not impressed with the the streaming release of Mulan. At the time they pushed it back to Christmas, they had no data. They've already pushed it back several times, as Disney did with Mulan. If you recall, about a month before Disney had announced the new release date for Mulan, before they actually said, look, we're just going to stream it on something called Premium Access through Disney+, Plus, where you pay $30 to get it quicker. And keep in mind, also, that's with the general public knowing that they're going to get Mulan as part of the regular service in December. What I was saying, and earlier I had said to Albert that that was the Canadian and U.S. market. I was mistaken. They're saying that that is $261 million being brought in by Mulan for the U.S. markets alone on the conservative side. And that's with Disney maintaining 100% of the profits as opposed to the box office revenue being completely split with theater chains. It's also going to be interesting to see what the legs are on that because... The other data group, Sensor Tower, Sensor Tower had confirmed that Disney Plus downloads spiked across all platforms, 68% from Friday, September 4th through Sunday, September 6th, compared to the prior week, which well, they used as a base standard. Well, you know, I don't trust box office numbers. These aren't box office and numbers. I, and, I'm not, and I don't trust digital numbers either. You see, these aren't digital numbers in the way that you're thinking. Like, well, Disney they are. Is, well, it's digital numbers. I mean, this is Disney's not, not real physical items. Disney's not offering these numbers up, but the fact that people downloaded this app 68% more over the course of the Mulan release weekend than they had before, I mean, that's verifiable. Well, how do I know Disney doesn't have 100,000 Disney accounts and they made them buy them on all of them? They could do that, I and mean, it's not hard to rig these numbers. Yeah, that's and it's also be insider it's not trading. Hard to, that's insider. No, that's a, no, it wouldn't be. Yeah, that's as long insider. as it's all bought and paid for by some way or another, it's still all. No, that's not. That's not correct. You're skewering your information for the stock market, and that's along the lines of insider trading. That's you don't a, think any of these companies don't that do that anyway. Breaking, I mean, all these companies do it. I'm fairly certain AT and T does, but Disney doesn't. Oh, of course not. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, in filmed, reality, they just, they just filmed down the road from concentration camps. We've already been over that. The reality of it is, is whether it's AT and T, Warner, or Disney, if you did something like that, that's illegal because that messes with the stock market. They will be down on you like a ton of bricks for that. No, they won't. <laughs> when does anyone ever do- Enron, dude? <laughs> Who gets control for any of this stuff? Enron. There is a long list of people getting in trouble for this. Every once in a while, they'll throw someone in jail and call it a day for the next 10 years. They destroyed the company that was Enron. Enron destroyed itself, though. It was already in, in trouble. They're just like, well, already since... in trouble because they did this sort of thing. Like, they, well, they since these people... Their money. They misled their stockholders. This would be misleading their stockholders. You've got two companies that are not beholden to Disney or any of the other companies reporting the information. This isn't like CNN coming forward doing nothing but running negative Mulan story after negative Mulan story because CNN belongs to AT&T. Lord, it's all a big smear, John. This is is two independent accounting companies. AT&T is the Nazi party of our generation. Oh, my God. I was under the impression you love DC Comics. Oh, I do. Then you want to get them away. Well, here's from here's my thing. Why is it okay for this? Ain't me saying this. This is sort of you saying this, okay? Even though it's not my voice. Saying. No, no. We'll, we'll edit it and post or something. I don't know. I'm asking you a question. <laughs> Go ahead. Why, why is it not okay for AT and T to kill comic book stores, but it's okay for Disney to kill movie theaters? This is a situation that was brought about by the COVID virus, whereas AT&T has and no all the, all the DC stuff was brought about Absolutely by the COVID not. Virus. Absolutely yes, not. Was. We now know. Initially, we were hoping it was because this was almost understandable then, but now we know it wasn't. We know that Miss Lifford had we're this not, plan in place. Yes, we're not. We're talking about Mulan and Disney. We're talking about AT and T and comic book stores. That was your question, and I'm telling you, they are putting out a whole segment and completely ignoring the base that supports these characters. They're going to take Superman, the cornerstone of comic books. They are completely ignoring the base that supports Superman by what they're doing. They're going to turn Superman into something as two-dimensional and as empty as, is it Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat they have? Street Fighter, right? No, they have Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat has two-dimensional and as empty as any one of those Mortal Kombat characters. That's what they want. That's why they're getting rid of the comic book writers. That's why Bendis is off the Superman titles and renegotiating his contract. That's why in a few years, you're not going to have any star writers. You're not even going to know who's writing what if we're getting anything from DC Comics. If they TNT gets their way, because all they want is another video game format for their IP properties. I don't think comic book shops... Watching what's going on right now, as it stands right now, comic book shops are going to be has harmed by the DC situation simply because I believe that AT&T is making DC irrelevant to comic book shops. And I think they're finding ways to cope with it. Thanks to Image, thanks to the other comic book companies stepping up, and especially thanks to Marvel. There, there ain't no replacement for Batman. No, there's not. And if there's one DC comic that continues to make it to the shelf, I promise you it's Batman. But don't worry. 
give them five years, they'll dilute him to the point that nobody wants anything to do with him as well. So in closing, (laughs) Mulan has put $261 million directly into Disney's pockets, which in turn means that you're going to see more premium access situations. And I'm going to say not just at Disney Plus, but across the board as well, because they've just eliminated the middleman with the theaters. The theaters are going to have to find some other route now. Well, net- is Netflix that okay? Is, Netflix has been doing that for years, though. Netflix has not been doing it well for years. I don't know about that. Netflix has not been doing Mulan numbers for years. Is that okay? No, not necessarily. I enjoy movie theaters under certain conditions. But this is where it's going to go with these numbers. There's a reason they released this information after the stock markets closed today. I was also asking you, Albert, not uh-huh. Mulan, not Mulan, but are you willing to pay $30 to see Wonder Woman at home? Maybe Wonder Woman, not Mulan. Black I mean, Widow. Even, even if even if Mulan was filmed in Coleman, I wouldn't I wouldn't watch Mulan because I didn't like the animated version of Mulan. Yeah, we we get it, Albert. You don't like Mulan. <laughs> you are against the Chinese people. No, I'm not. Understood. Okay, Wonder Woman, maybe, or or was that a yes? Maybe on Wonder Woman. Black Widow, probably not Black Widow. Ant Man three, maybe. That's, okay. that's a bigger maybe than Wonder Woman. Well, I actually really like that. I think the Ant-Man movies are some of the best Marvel movies they've done. Well, yeah, I know. That's why I said Ant-Man 3 instead of Doctor Strange 2. I pay attention to you, Albert. <laughs> I'd probably do Doctor Strange. It's directed by Sam Raimi. Oh, yeah, that's okay. So if you had your choice, would you rather sit in your house, pay $30 and watch it? Or would you rather go to the movie theater and watch it and pay $30? I just don't live near a theater. If your demographics were different, maybe go to a theater. That would affect your decision. Okay. Sandra, how about you? Oh, hell no. (laughs) I'm not paying $30 for anything that's on my TV. I'll just wait until the DVD comes out if I was going to have to pay $30. I'm not going to pay. What if Ant-Man 3 has Namor in it, though? I probably still wouldn't pay $30 for it. Really? Wait. Really? <sighs> That's a shame because I hear that the uh, closing credit scenes to Black Widow has Namor in them. Well, you know, I can also <laughs> I can also just wait until two but months. Only, only for people who pay $30 to, for the premium access, and then they're going to take it off the movie and never show it again. Yeah, right. <laughs> No, I just think that's a ridiculous amount of money to pay for something that is not mine. I'm not going to pay. Again, like I said, if you have a family, then it makes sense. But if you're a single, no, it it makes zero sense. Just, you know, none none of these companies want you to own anything. They don't want you to buy anything of theirs that you can say you own. Well, you can still buy the DVDs. Television and stuff like that. Yeah, At but this point uh, in time, you can still buy the DVD. They don't even so. want to do that. Take, for instance, video games. Today, Sony announced the release date and price and the models of PlayStation 5, which is first half of November. But how they price it, though, is in the same console with the exception of one thing, and that's a disk drive. There's a $399 model 
and a $499 model, and the only difference is the $500 model has a disk drive in it. This is PlayStation 5? Yeah, they, they're going to charge you $100 for a disk drive on a PlayStation 5. Okay, but I I don't okay. know what, well, what that's supposed back, to mean. These, these companies, they don't want you owning physical copies of their stuff. Well, that may be, but at this point in time, I can still own a physical copy of stuff. At this so, point in time. Right. Disney's also got a marked-in revenue quotient to meet with the, the movie releases due to their vault system, and they have a built-in base that if they release the animated Lady and the Tramp, then call it back into the vault and then re-release it five to ten years later, in a new package, they'll call it Diamond Anniversary or Golden Anniversary or something, then the same people that bought the last release of it for $24, $30 on DVD are going to go back and buy this again. God, their whole marketing for the DVDs are based around that. But it's also like me. Every time they release a new version of the Star Wars movies in a new format, I go out and get those. When we get in the Abrams cut of the original trilogy. Oh, my God. <laughs> That was actually funny. It's Star Wars, but with lens flare. (laughs) So, moving right along, let's talk about some DC comics, shall we? Sure. DC side notes, possible rumors, and things going down at DC Comics. Bendis is off the Superman titles, thank God. But he's saying, oh, I'm moving on to bigger and better things. There had to be something to draw me away from Superman in action. My guess is faltering sales, but Bendis is hinting that he's got something coming up. And Albert, your speculation is what? Justice League, I guess. With Harley Quinn in it? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What are the odds that Mark Wade is taking over Superman in action? The rumors seem to be him getting at least one of them. So, well, is it actually official that Bendis is? Yes, he is going. I think they said December was the end of everything. Yes, he's off the Superman books. Yes, Bendis is off the Superman books. Wade is friendly with DC again after some time. Anybody that's been a fan of Mark Wade's career knows that Mark Wade has always wanted the Superman titles. If they've offered him that, clearly, I don't think Mark would hesitate. I read somewhere that part of the reason why Bendis is off of the Superman books is that they're trying to renegotiate the contracts and cheap out the talent. That is exactly what uh, we're hearing from three different sources. Okay, so yes. that's I don't also see why giving him another book is going to actually make him any money. I mean, I don't. Well, know. So, I mean, I assume if you know if some of these people have contracts, they just they've got contracts or nothing yeah. much. But you have some. You probably have a bunch of writers and artists that are freelance and they haven't signed exclusive deals or anything. There's probably a bunch of those, them guys that are renegotiating on. Ever since the uproar and the moving and shaking and Miss Lifford's realigning the echelon at DC Comics, they've made a concerted effort to try to downplay the talent on the books. In other words, taking the talent's name off of the headlines, putting it toward the back of the book and a lot of the books 
now where you're not really looking to read who wrote what. They've Tinian, done that for years, though. Well, now they've done that on occasion. They've put the talent in the middle of the book, put it in the back of the book. Most of the time, it's been in the front couple of pages in the book. A lot of the time at DC, it used to be on the inside the cover page, but they're kind of making a break from that now. Tinian is not being paid as much as King and Snyder were on Batman, but that's all going to change given Tinian's conspiracy theory book that just sold, what, 100,000 copies and hasn't even hit the stand yet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Given Wind, that's W-Y-N-D from Image Comics written by Tinian, and his conspiracy theory book, his current run on Batman, bringing sales back up from the CIA spook, Tom King's disastrous run on Batman, they're not going to want to pay Tinian the same. So I would look for Tinian not to be invited back onto the Batman book, as much as that pains me to say, as much as I've enjoyed his run on Batman. Snyder announced he was doing something else. Tom King is contracted, I believe, to do... Tom King is the CIA spook whom we you know don't like. The Bat and the Cat, and to finish Strange Adventures, which he's currently doing, don't look for him to be re-upped at his That's, current rate. Yeah, but all this stuff's like over a year from now. He's doing Rorschach, and it's not That's even out yet. Say. That was Rorschach, yeah. Yeah, it was Rorschach. Snyder, Snyder's already said he's got deep more DC stuff lined up. Yes, yeah, Snyder has said he's got more DC stuff lined up. I'm just curious how often we're going to see these names come up in, say, 2022. They're talking about all their big guns. When I say big guns, I mean a lot of their exclusives moving on, like Snyder. CBR's reporting Grant has nothing on deck with DC after Green Lantern. But he he hasn't had anything on deck for DC really in a while outside of what, Wonder Woman? Yeah, the Earth One. Earth he was One. he's always been on and off with DC for a long time. Yeah, and that that's a fair assessment because you never know what Grant's going to do until Grant says he's going to do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it does not look like they're interested. They think the intellectual property by itself just magically tells stories. This is them redirecting their efforts to mass bookstores with the Yaw novels, the young adult novels, and to online efforts. Because nobody who knows, if you look at the Injustice Year Zero, that story that comes out exclusively online first from DC, the art in it gets worse each week. The writing in it gets worse each week, and I couldn't tell you who's writing it right now, just right off the top of my head. They're not making an impression. It's just kind of, somebody will swing in there. Before it's all over, AT&T will sell the Warner Brothers properties, uh, especially given the COVID situation. Yeah, I mean, I I can't. Yeah, I I think that's going to happen at some point. But by then, I'm not sure how much is going to be left. (laughs) Doesn't matter. It can always be brought back. The dissolution of these characters and the DC continuity is not something that I want us to go through or that I want to happen at all. But they can be brought back. Yeah, but I'm not sure the comic book floppy market can be brought back. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I mean, Marvel's doing a pretty good job given Marvel's uh, sales reports for the last 
couple of months here. And Albert, that is not me hanging things on Marvel. I was just looking at the sales reports earlier and I was thinking, okay, this is good. This is good. This is good. Yeah, Marvel's going to save it and save Image. everything with variant covers. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Image is, are... Image is doing great, too. I think a lot of the independents are stepping up because yeah. you didn't used to hear independents selling 100,000 copies. I think they're stepping up. And one of the things I'm looking forward to most is the game, even though I didn't know it existed until you brought it up last week, is Conspiracy Theory by Tenny. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The uh, Ministry of Truth or Department of of Truth. Truth. Yeah. Yeah, Department of Truth. I I keep calling it conspiracy theory, but but it's Department of Truth. Yeah. Let's talk about some DC Comics this week. Justice League, number 53. Writer Joshua Williamson, out of nowhere, and art by Zermanico. Let's get this crap out of the way. (laughs) Not only is it not enough to make an amalgam of Batman with every DC character out there, we get introduced to Minehunter. Guess who he is? He's a cross between Batman and Martian Manhunter. But now they seem to be stealing from Transformers with the Omega Bat. It looks a lot like Omega Supreme in a Batman cow. This is really not worth your money. And Omega Supreme? Yeah, it really did. It looked like the Omega City Supreme. or the rocket no, the, thing or whatever? He, yeah, the, the, the giant Sentinel Transformer. That used to be a rocket launcher. When he transforms, he transforms into one of the Sentinels that stand watch over Cybertron. He was the first really big Transformer. You remember Omega Supreme, right? Yeah, I remember Omega Supreme. Okay, yeah, it looks like Omega Supreme with the bat cowl on. And they call it Omega Bat. Don't waste your money on any of it. I gave it a score of one. Albert, you said you went through it? I flipped through it, but I didn't read it or nothing. I just sort of glanced at it. What was your impression glancing at it? Oh, I didn't care for it, so I didn't read it. Okay. It all loops back around. (laughs) Sandra, you know who Omega Supreme is, right? Is that like a dessert that you can get at Dairy Queen? I don't know. No, I'm sorry. I don't. Omega Supreme. (laughs) I'll have an Omega Supreme with extra chocolate, please. Detective number 1027, celebrating Batman's 1,000th issue in Detective. Multiple artists, multiple writers. Uh, I thought it was a very good issue. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought there was Uh, a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, Yeah, it really was. I wasn't let down by any of them except the CIA spooks two and a half pages. Yeah, Uh, I think that may lead into supposed to be something else he's supposed to be doing. After he went after somebody's career incorrectly and all that, I don't have anything for him at all. Uh, All of these stories were engaging. They were fun. And even the Bendis one was all right. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice Bendis wrote one. Which one did he write? He wrote the second one where it's the body on the roof. Oh, okay. Well, that was very nicely done. Hell, I have to give it to him there. I enjoyed that one. It's definitely worth your money. It's going to be $9.99, and there's God knows how many variants out of it. Pick your favorite variant. Pick a couple of your favorite variants. The stories inside are definitely worth it, don't you think? Yeah. My favorite was the Morrison one. Yeah. Lead into the Legacy event was sort of interesting. That Jurgens one wrote that. Jurgens yeah, Jurgens wrote, wrote Yeah. Yeah, the, the lead into the Legacy event one was pretty neat. Yeah, I'm all down for the legacy event situation. I like that. This is the leftovers of the 5G thing. Yeah, that scattered they're just, around. Yeah, which, they're just they're just reworking stuff and letting writers do different things. Which Jim Lee made it a point to say yet again, 5G is dead. Not happening. No reboot. 
I gave detective number 1027 fours across the board. It's always kind of hard when you got multiple various stories in it. I'd easily see spending $10, $20 on this or a couple of the variants that I wanted on it. I gave it a straight fives. Straight fives. Good enough. Continuing our all Batman all the time policy, The Batman's Grave, number 10 by Ellison Hitch. I think the greatest single scene in any DC comic ever has to be the two and a half pages of Alfred point blank shooting somebody repeatedly once they're on the ground. (laughs) Gosh, this might be the best interpretation of Alfred there's ever been. (laughs) Yeah, this book, it's solid. It's appropriately funny in just the right places. It's not going out of its way for laughs. It's very human interpretation of both Batman and Alfred. It's a great Bat book. This is a limited series, isn't it? 12 issues? Yeah. I kind of hate to see this one go away. Writer Warren Ellis, artist Brian Hitch. I gave this one fives across the boards. I gave it straight fives too. Is it better than the TV series, Pennyworth? Oh, yeah. I was in and out on Pennyworth. Okay. Oh, no, right. no the this, this is this is the best version of Alfred. Yeah. Okay. All and, right. And part of it is because in Pennyworth you're watching the before story. Alfred's right. story young Alfred. Be- yeah. Before, right. Yeah. And in this one you're watching Alfred at his pinnacle when he's dealing with a young Batman, a young new to everything Batman. Yeah. I like the bit where you, where Bruce gets on the Alfred about keeping guns in the house, and he goes, indeed, and you'll never find them all. <laughs> I appreciate your stance against them, but <laughs> I am just a feeble old man. It, it's a great book. It really is. It's very enjoyable. Catwoman, number 25. Did you read Catwoman? Did I have Catwoman down? Yeah, I read Catwoman. Okay. Catwoman number 25 by Ram V and art by John Paul Leon. It's an interesting aside to me to the Joker War. It could have easily been a backup story in one of the other books. I didn't care for this comic. It's not overly engaging. I think it would have worked better if we had had it as a backup story. Cut the story down, added like nine extra pages to Batman, and run this through. All it is is a scene that you were missing from Batman number 99 that they had to get out there and let you know was happening. They even cover it with a page, possibly two pages in Batman number 99. But you get to see the entire story and motivation for it. And again... There's spoilers. We're going to give some spoilers here. But a few weeks ago, and I didn't think about this, I read a bat book that was made available to us that has not hit the stands yet. And it has a story about Lucius Fox and his son Luke in it. They had already revealed the giveaway in Catwoman. Basically, Catwoman steals the Wayne money back, steals back all the money from the criminal underworld, from the underbroker, and redistributes it, but takes all of the Wayne cash and puts it under the name Lucius Fox. I think there's actually a good chance here that we are setting up for Luke Fox to take over the mantle of Batman for a little while. Or something. I mean, it seems like the plan was ended at issue 100 and do the uh, Luke Fox run, but they scrapped that, do the 5G, and Tinian's still on it. But that's still on the card somewhere in there. So, Well, especially given the events in Batman number 99, which we'll get to in just a moment. Catwoman number 25, though, like I said, it would have worked better as a backup story. I gave the writing a three, the art a three, the dynamic a two. My score on it was 2.7. Yeah, I gave it straight twos. I didn't care for it, and I really hate her costume. Okay, yeah, the costume was getting on my nerves, but I think it got on my nerves more in Detective. 
in a couple of scenes. Something didn't look right about it. But it's important to have your armpits free in superhero costumes. I literally think they were like, we got to do something with Catwoman's costume to make it our costume. They're like, no, I that's I don't know. Let's take the armpits out of it. It's the CIA spook. His fetish is armpits. So. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. King, Tom King's fetish is armpits. That's the des- that explains the design on the Catwoman suit. Mm, I don't know about that. We're lucky Batman still has full coverage on his armpits. <laughs> I just never thought I would ever hear, ever. <laughs> Can't get this anywhere else, Sandra. <laughs> Batman number 99 by T4. That's Tinian the fourth and Jorge Jimenez. I can say two things about it. My assessment of it is only wow, just wow. But then I've got a question for you, Albert. Are they foreshadowing Harley killing the Joker? You can't kill the Joker. I know he'll eventually be back, but she can certainly do something to make it look like she's killed the Joker. The Joker is a universal constant. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. He is the equivalent of Galactus in the Marvel Universe. Galactus does not show up every issue constantly. And really? Because they sure do use him a lot. Well, he's gotten more use here lately than previously, but he also does not have 48 books being where he's written differently in and so on and so on. I kind of get the feeling that Harley's about to make a move against the Joker. And oh, Batman, you- Batman just walks off and leaves her there. She makes the statement that you need to take me out, and I mean really take me out, so I can't do it. And he just turns away and walks away from her. Well, see, Batman understands that Joker is like an abstract idea that exists beyond the walls of their reality, so you cannot kill it. (laughs) I must have missed that issue, Albert. Where did he... (laughs) Where did he... um... I mean, it was there before we were born, and it'll be there after we die. This is a lot of oomph that we're giving a character that was not even Batman's main opponent until after the Batman movie in 1989. Uh, Beforehand, most people would have said the Riddler. No, I don't think so. I was was, about to say the Joker. Well, I think so. you're just making stuff up now. No, again, Frank Miller, Frank Miller went a long way to establishing that in Dark Knight, given the Joker's death and all. But I recall a lot more references to the Riddler growing up than I do the Joker. Up until Jack Nicholson showed up as the Joker, I did not think we had this set in cement as to which one of Batman's villain was. I mean, they the gave villain. Joker his own book back in the 70s for a little bit, didn't they? Like four issues or something? Oh, yeah, that's they true. They didn't give no book. Well, they've given Catwoman a book several times. That's different. <laughs> Is it different? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I'm going to skip that joke. We're just going to skip over there. Aside from wow, I'm also going to say that that full page shot Jorge Jimenez did of Batman walking into Ace Chemicals. That was a great shot. That needs to be a poster. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet the original art sheet on that will bring close to 30000 Oh, I don't know. But I, Lord. I base that on this. There's a lot of Campbell's artwork, Star Wars artwork that he did specifically for Disney that the originals brought in around 60,000. But I'm willing to bet his original pencils on that will bring anywhere from 15 to 30,000. That was an unbelievably good shot. That was the best 
piece of Batman art I think I've seen since. I mean, it looks like a cover. Since I mean, The it, Dark Knight. I mean, it looks returns. like something that would be on the cover. I think it's too good to be on a cover. Yeah. But yeah, his his art's been fantastic this whole run. So well, that one shot right there, man. I'm telling you, they DC uh, they're not going to do it. They haven't made posters for the general public in God knows how long. Yeah, they do. They just didn't do them through Diamond. Yeah, I'm sure the ten by twenty inch copies at Walmart are outstanding. But they exist. Uh, yeah, in ten by twenty format. How many people uh, go into Walmart? How many people go in the comic book stores? Man, you just want comic book shops to stop existing? Is that I'm is just that saying, all? like you're acting like hey, I'm acting like this. I'm acting like why are you? How going many Stan? How many people really bought posters? I buy posters. See, how many people really bought them posters we got? If it was a good poster, we'd sell out of a lot of them. The problem is, is that the majority of them were not absolute great posters. A versus X poster. With the ex-babies on it, dear God, we couldn't keep that in stock. And that was Scotty Young. The magic poster from Exterminus, we couldn't keep that in stock. A couple of the Alex Ross's posters we couldn't keep in stock. And the only poster by Monera we still had left was the Gamora one. And that one was the one that we used in the uh, in the screen for display. Yeah, If it's a great poster, yeah, it goes out. Easily. Marvel got in the habit of where they would release a poster for almost anything. J. Scott Campbell's posters wouldn't stay in stock. I couldn't order enough of the Mary Jane on the couch poster, but uh, it just depends on various things. This poster would sell. Oh, and another poster. Remember Wonder Woman with her lasso in a noose from Identity Crisis that was drawn by Michael Turner? Yeah. Yeah. No, we couldn't keep that one in stock. Yeah, but we got in like 10 different posters a week, Stan. I was dead and determined the poster thing was going to work. (laughs) (laughs) It was because all of the peer pressure from you about all of the posters that were selling out of Walmart. You wouldn't shut up about it. You would go on and on. uh, That was not me. About how Walmart, (laughs) just like you did ever annoyed you as all I ever annoyed you was about was ordering t-shirts that weren't black. That's Just all. Like a, that's the only thing. That's all. That's all he ever annoyed me with. That was it right there. He was quiet as a mouse otherwise. <laughs> there was no critique from Albert coming in once. We had 500 t-shirts in that store and they were all black t-shirts. Well, what do you want? Aren't they supposed to be black? Most I of mean, them are. Most I mean, them there's, are. Other, there's other colors. <laughs> You can order a white T-shirt or a blue T-shirt no, or a red Walmart T-shirt. Has multiple colored T-shirts. <laughs> Never order a white T-shirt. How much is the Walton family paying you, Albert? <laughs> the Walton family. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> what did you think of the twist in Batman number 99? You see, the reason I brought up Luke Fox earlier is because I can see this making what happened, the events in this book, I can see this making Bruce want to walk away from it for a while. Yeah, this book was, this uh, last few pages is pretty wild. It absolutely kills me. I mean, this is the best. Like, I don't want to spoil it, but. No, no, the last few it. pages are, are, are worth it. Yeah, that, it, it made me gasp. That's the first time I've done that with a comic in a while. But yeah, Batman number 99, I gave it straight fives. I loved it. It feels like a Batman book. There's a amount of grotesquery in it. It's everything you want in a Batman book. Yeah. 
Plus, a whole hell of a lot less Catwoman, although she's in it just for a couple of pages and all. I really do think it's everything you want in a Batman book. There's one side in particular in it saying, well, this is okay, and I give it a 6 out of 10 in a critique. I don't know what they're reading, or I think they're still hung up on kissing the ass of... Uh, the CIA spook. Yeah, there, there's a lot of those hardcore bat cat fans. Yeah. But you can't trust them people. No, no, you can't. <laughs> if you meet one on the street, walk the other way. Six foot is not enough distance between you and an ardent bat cat supporter or an ardent Tom King supporter. Just walk the other way. Yeah. What, what did you give it on the score? Straight fives. Yep. Me too. Me too. I read it twice. I went back over it. I went back to that page by Jimenez. That is just awesome artwork by him. He is well worth the money. So Marvel, get out the checkbook. And Sandra did we, also did we it. score Batman's Grave? Yes, we did. We both we gave did. it straight fives. Okay. Yeah. 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 This was actually like you know we we joke about there being nothing but Batman books. Yeah. So that's that's that was almost right, especially for this week. But they put out a lot of great Batman stuff this week. The only letdown I really saw from DC was Justice League. Yeah. Catwoman is just an okay aside, and given everything else going on in the multiple Bat books, you can make an argument that Catwoman was interesting and relevant. But yeah, yeah, these were great books coming out this week. Sandra, what do you think of Batman number 99? I think they're one issue away from 100. There we go, Sandra. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure there's not a 99.5? I, I, I was about to say they could do a Marvel thing and do a 99.1. <laughs> oh, dear God. No. No. And now on to Aftershock Comics. Dead Day number three. Writer Ryan Parrott and artist Evany Bornyakov. Albert, you didn't get a chance to read this one, did you? No, no, I didn't read Dead Day. Real quick, it's still the best take on zombies to date, even though it's not about zombies. Dead Day is a situation that occurs in this comic book every so often where the dead actually rise and interact with the humans. Otherwise, everything in this reality is normal except for that. And you're following a couple of storylines in it going on about the dead rising to interact with humans for 24 hours or so. It's a stout story, an imaginative backdrop and good characterization. My score was three for it. I think we also, both Albert and I, also gave threes to number one and two as well. All Stan, right. I don't remember reading this comic. <laughs> I'll edit out the Albert and I part. I don't think we I don't think we ever reviewed this. I swear to God we did. I didn't have to go back and read one and two. All right. I'll, I'll skip Dead Day altogether. <laughs> what is <laughs> Screw Dead Day. <laughs> leave all this in where we where we can't decide if we've read it or not, though. This this yeah, is I good content. Like yeah. <laughs> Pay no attention to us on the Dead Day comic book review. We may or may delusion. not have read it. We're not entirely sure. <laughs> I don't know if I made up the first two issues myself or what happened. <laughs> Boom Studios, Seven Secrets Number Two. Remember this one, Albert? <laughs> Albert? <laughs> Seven Secrets. 
Seven yeah, seasons. yeah, I remember okay. this. I remember this comic. This is the one where we had this big long debate about how old the word briefcase was. That's exactly <laughs> right. This, there we go. See, Sandra remembered. <laughs> Writer Tom Taylor, artist Daniel D. Nicolo. I like the first issue better. This issue's not bad. It just feels different than the story I thought the first issue was setting. This comic, especially issue two. Feels like a Netflix cartoon. A Netflix oh. cartoon. Like, like their pseudo animes that they put out that are net, that they finance themselves. This feels like one of those. I definitely know where you're coming from on that. I made a note that the art seemed off, more off than the first issue. It looked like old Speed Racer cartoons rather than its own thing. The way the characters' teeth grinded and stuff like that, which... Works fine for the Speed Racer cartoon because it's animated, but in the comic book, it kind of knocks you out of it a little bit. Well, I think this one was the one that we were talking about that had the the manga vibe to it. It does. As far as the art. Yeah, it does. And it's the same artist. I looked it up, mm-hmm. but I also went back and looked at the first issue again. And, and it does look different. It looks like the lines are thinner or something. I don't feel the art is as stout as it was in the first one, nor the storytelling. The dialogue on the last two pages I thought was intriguing, but that's also kind of a writer's trick. There's a hundred ways out of what the dialogue tells you. I'm in for at least one more issue, but I'm not jumping up and down about it. Yeah, I'm going to give it one more issue. I find the parents way more interesting than the kid. Yeah, yeah, I do. So that's too. why I'm giving it one more issue. Maybe in the third issue, we get a little, we get the story rolling a little bit more. And it, and it goes more on him, but there was such a strong focus on the parents. Those characters were well done. The complete shift to the the son, eh, you know, it's yeah, he's not as a compelling character yet. Yeah, so. it almost feels like a different comic than the first issue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it, yeah, I agree with both of y'all. Except to me, it's pretty clear the manga influence is definitely more apparent. Yeah, more obvious in this one. This again may be a case of this is not. I'm not the audience it was aimed after, but I'm not all that keen on young coming of age stories or, you know, kid stories like this. Because, I mean, I, I guess I've seen quite a few. I might give it one more try, but there's so much else to read. Yeah. Yeah. That's my view. Because I'll give issue three a try and then we'll go from there, I guess. I gave the writing a two, the art a three, the dynamic a two. My score was 2.7. I'm going to go with twos. Twos? Twos, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to probably go straight threes on it. It's not bad, but they don't do anything great or, or above average, really. Dark Horse Comics. Tales from Umbrella Academy. You look like death number one. Writer Sean Simon with Gerard Way. Artist I.N.J. Colbard. What can you say about it? It's Umbrella Academy. Funny, short, quick lines. Surreality and every bite. It's that sort of flavor. If you like Umbrella Academy, you're going to enjoy this book, this first issue. I liked it. It's fine. It's focusing on the Umbrella Academy's, I don't want to say problem child because they have several, but who I I think is the problem child of Umbrella Academy. It's a good read. And I enjoyed the Umbrella Academy comics. I enjoyed the TV series. Have have either of you watched any of the TV series, uh, the Netflix series? Nope. No. The Netflix series is more X-Men, or is as much X-Men as it is Umbrella Academy. It's really intriguing. It's completely different from the comic book, and the comic book, I think, is much more fresh 
entertaining story than the Netflix series. I gave issue number one of You Look Like Death, Tales from the Umbrella Academy, Writing a 3, Art of 3, Dynamic of 4. My score was 3.2. I gave the Writing a 3 and Art Dynamic of 4. All right, so you scored it 3.7. Yeah. Image Comics, Stillwater, number one. Writer Chip Zdarsky, artist Ramon Perez. Sandra, you've been waiting on this one, hadn't you? Yeah, there was a lot of hype about it, but... Well, you don't sound thrilled. Well, I mean, I, I, I read it. <laughs> well, no, that's what I'm saying. What do you, you what do you think of it? It's not my cup of tea, but I think there's some problems with this. I, I thought it took too long to get started. I wasn't that fond of the art. Really? So, yeah, I didn't like the art. The writing in the story is a little on the average side. I thought the art was great. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I I like the art too. I I uh, really like the coloring in this comic. Well, that was nice too. That's part and parcel with the art. It it went real well with it. I actually had made a note that I thought this was the best first issue to an image comic since Undiscovered Country number one. Really? Wow. Yeah, I, okay. I really did. Hmm. I'm not saying it's better than Undiscovered Country. I'm saying that this is the best issue number one they've put out since Undiscovered Country number and one. And I thought it was a real solid issue one. It it sort yeah. of it did everything issue one needed to do as far as I was concerned. Yeah, there's promise there of a little more because the delivery guy, the guy that dropped off the letter, he was very self-aware. Yeah. He only had like one or two lines. Why now? Why are you delivering the letter now? You know, I was waiting for the right moment in the story, he basically said. I thought it was a great read. Perfect art for the story. Well-rounded characterization, the initial issue, and a, and a nice little mystery at the core. It's not easy to see exactly where we're going with this. I gave the writing a five, the art a four, the dynamic a four. My score was 4.2. I'm going to say straight twos, and I'm being generous there. Okay. Really, huh? Yeah. So I, I, gave I, I the, just didn't care for it. I gave the writing a three because it, it, it's a little average writing, but the uh, art and dynamic I gave it a four. You basically gave it a 3.7. I gave it a 4.2, and Sandra gave it a two. So that's two of us thinks it's worth a look, and one of us that says, no, not not yet. Yeah. I'd like To me, that's not even a personal decision. Like the other one, I think, is a personal decision, but personal taste. But this one, I just, oh, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm disappointed again, because usually I really like Zadarsky. But you're going to pick up issue number two. Mm, probably not. Really? Okay. Yeah. Continuing with Image Comics, Big Girls number two by Jason Howard. I've made up my mind about this comic. I was borderline beforehand, but now I've decided it's a poorly contrived, ham-fisted, ill-conceived propaganda cloaked in Jason Howard's fetish. I don't think it's worth your money. Albert? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they try to make it interesting by adding a little extra thing with the, with the evil monsters in issue two. It, it ain't nothing. Yeah, I gave it a score of one across the board. The first issue, it was kind of like when you tell somebody, it's not you, it's me. And so the first issue, after I read it, I thought, well, maybe it's me. Let's read issue number two. After reading issue number two, no, it's all him. It is all <laughs> this book. So. Yeah. What was your score on it? Oh, uh, straight twos. Okay. Not worth your money. Save your money there. Marvel Comics. Snapshot. Cyclops, number one. One shot. Writer Jay Eden and art by Tom Riley. What would you think, Albert? I thought it was great. I thought they did a great job of Cyclops. 
Yeah, it was it was nice that they actually did their homework and got all of those scenes together in chronological order. Yeah. Because before we knew about the air conditioning system falling and Cyclops blasting it. We knew about the orphanage that's funded by Essex. And we knew about this scene and that scene. But they they put it together in a nice little concise, for lack of a better term, origin origin book for Cyclops. One of the other nice little things they did was they explained his fascination with Reed Richards. And that's something that I don't expect a whole lot of, especially newer readers, and by newer, I mean people born in the 90s, <laughs> to have picked up on because every time Cyclops got near Reed, Cyclops would kind of kiss up to Reed and want to talk to Reed. You see evidence of this in the different issues of Fantastic Four and X-Men where they had to deal with each other. And you also see evidence of this in the original Secret Wars. Cyclops was always trying to strike up a conversation with Reed. This was very nicely done because Reed Richards is in this book and they kind of pay homage to that as well. Sandra, did you pick it up? You don't care about Cyclops, do you? It was a little bit dull, but that's okay because Cyclops is a little bit dull. I may end up picking it up later, or I'll probably get it when the trade comes out of the snapshots. Uh, for the snapshots because of Submariner. Right. I didn't get to read the rest of it, but in the preview they showed that Cyclops was in the movie theater and he apparently explained some of his fascination slash fear of Namor because it looked like he was going to have a nervous breakdown in that theater watching Namor fight the FF. Oh, uh, no, no. That that scene, I know what you saw. Yeah. And that's not how that scene plays out. Okay. No, it's hero worship for Reed, oh primarily. Yeah. I gave it threes across the board. Albert? Uh, I did the very little better than that. I gave the art four and the writing and dynamic three. Okay. So we both think it's well worth your money. It was it was very nice, especially if you're a Cyclops or X-Men fan. Yeah. Iron Man number one, writer Christopher Cantwell. You can tell by the enthusiasm in my voice. Artist Cafu, C-A-F-U. Well, it's an Iron Man comic and Dan Slott's not writing it. Is that all you've got? Is that really all it's got going for it? Is Dan Slott's not writing it? Well, if you can't say something nice... I like the art on it. Art's fine. The design for the suit's good. Yeah, I don't know about the the story you're writing. It's too kitschy. It's, yeah, it's too. It's almost like 1990s filler comic. I disagree a little bit here. If you've watched Halt and Catch Fire, which the writer of this is the showrunner slash creator for Halt and Catch Fire, this is pretty much. What I expected, but nicer. Let's put it that way, because I thought it was going to be pretty grim from the beginning. I thought the Hellcat was a surprise and Unicorn. So the guy clearly has some interest in Tony, although I don't really remember Tony having much interaction with Patsy Walker. Not a ton of interaction, not nearly as much as he's had with Black Widow or Wasp, Mm -hmm. but Bendis also visited that. Okay. After Siege was over with and Tony, Cap, Thor got trapped on the remnants of Asgard, they're sitting around a campfire talking. Cap's mad at Tony because of everything. This is the first time all three of them has been together since Civil War. Mm-hmm. It's just ice cold between them. But Thor and Cap are talking and Tony tries to butt in. Tony says, you remember Patsy Walker, Hellcat, to Captain America? 
and Cap says, not immediately. And, and Tony describes her, describes the costume. And Cap says, okay, yeah, I think I do. And he says, really? You you don't recall anything other than she's a superhero, blah, 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 because she said that you and her, you know. And Cap was just looking at Tony like he wants Tony to drop dead. And Cap says, no, I don't know. And he says, because, you know, she and I were a thing for a while. Tony says that. Cap's just looking at Tony. And then there's two or three panels of silence. And Thor is sitting over there. And Thor's been drinking mead. And Thor says, I remember Patsy. And she and I did. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a little bit of background there that's been used, let's say, in modern times in the last 10 years. It fits. I didn't question it much when she showed up. No, I mean, she's just a Marvel superhero character. Why wouldn't she show up? Well, you sugarcoat it all you want, but Tony, it's been long enough that all of the Avengers have dated each other. Cap only having uh, romantically been with Sharon Carter and Wanda Maximoff. It's like Love Island in Avengers Mansion or whatever. Oh, you mean like Krakoa? Well, yeah, but much more slower in there, and they try to keep it a secret for as long as possible. Mm, okay. Not out in the open. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody, um, nobody talks to Cap about it. <laughs> yeah. So other than that, what do you think, Sandra? You, it's better I, than slot. Well, yeah, but. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. My dog's wet paw prints are better than slot at this point in time. <laughs> and, and I'm, I mean, that's, but that is as far as I can go with it, so far as the writing's concerned. I did love the art. I did like the art. A couple of problems I immediately have, and I attribute these to Christopher Cantwell not doing any research whatsoever on these characters. It doesn't make sense that Tony downgrades to a lower version of armor just for sake of humility. That's a severe public liability. You have to think in Marvel Universe terms, that armor does not have the capability of his more advanced armors. No. Yeah, and but so, he's yeah, he's running the risk of lives if he gets caught up in a sudden situation there. But he's clearly going through some kind of midlife crisis and I mean that's it's basic I take it to mean a fireman like, go through a midlife crisis, but that doesn't mean they get to drown downgrade their armor. I mean, but Tony's I, been going through a midlife crisis since the Korean War. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. But I mean, where do you think you know, this armor came from? He's going to do this armor no matter what. He just had an excuse. Well, it ties into that whole thing with the cars where the guy, I mean, he's not getting the newest hybrid vehicle. He's talking about like classic cars. And yeah, because that's if you have money, that's armor. what you buy. Well, that's what I'm saying. But I, it's clearly tying the cars to the, the armor and that same kind of feeling that I guess guys get for, and women, I guess I shouldn't be sexist, but, but you know, where it's the classic car. Well, why would you spend all that money on a old quote unquote old car? But that's not, there's obviously some connection between the the desire for a vintage car and the desire for a vintage suit of armor. It's a stylistic choice that the writer is making. Mm -hmm. And I understand that, but here's the difference. Tony's not going to rely upon that Dodge Charger to save anybody's life. Thanos could drop in the middle of Manhattan at any given moment because this is the Marvel Universe. And if Tony has downgraded his capabilities simply out of nostalgia's sake or for sake of humility, he is putting lives at risk by doing so. That's the old armor. But I don't and think I, as much as I love seeing it, I would have rather them said, 
the nanotech is just making the armor look like the classic armor. But I don't think Tony is thinking that's his main thing now. I mean, he's obviously trying to find a different direction. And just because he says that he's doing it to be humble or whatever, that doesn't mean that that's actually true. And there's a line in the book that it's another layer of his ego. Yeah, Tony obviously is lying to himself. Uh, He lies to himself all the time and presents those lies as the truth. When I say lies to himself, he's delusional about some things about his own self-awareness at times. I think the writer just wants to like make a quick cut and move on to whatever direction he's going on. I mean, witness the brush off from Wasp, this armor stuff. So I really enjoyed Halt and Catch Fire, but I think part of the reason why I enjoyed that was because Lee Pace played this character that that he's kind of using the same template for, for Tony. Not exactly, but I can see similarities. But there's no Lee Pace on this page. My main problem with it is what I said about the armor. This is not thinking like the character of Tony thinks inside universe. Mm -hmm. You know, the car is fine. The selling Stark Enterprises and moving to Manhattan and what for him is a simple apartment or a simple brownstone. All that's perfectly fine. But downgrading armor... Armor that does not have the capability of going toe-to-toe with Thor or what have you, that's not a smart move, and that could cost lives if he was thinking in-universe, but he's just using it for his own plot device. I want to believe that this is going to be good, but because I'm familiar with Cantwell, I'm more than certain that he's going to crap all over this in an issue or two, but for right now, I'm in. So I gave the writing a three, the art a four, the dynamic a three. My score was 3.2. Um, I'll go with that. Yeah, that sounds Albert, good. Albert? I gave the uh, art a three and the writing a dynamic a two. You were less enthralled. Yeah, so. I didn't know. Uh, whatever. You see, we're in that stage where anything's better than slot so far as Iron Man's <laughs> concerned. And, and we got to walk real carefully here. I also think sometimes... It's a shared universe type thing. Yeah. Take a look at the X-Men comics and the stuff we're doing in there. Like, why is Tony just fooling around in the city for no particular reason? At this point, like I said, I'm okay with them selling off Stark Enterprises and moving to New York City and just kind of screwing around. Given what's going on with Tony, this is the first time we've seen actual physical Tony since before Secret Wars. The Iron Man comic with Tony Stark should be a little bit more higher concept than what they're offering here. I agree with you, and I felt that about the Slot situation. That's why I was excited about Slot when he took it over. He was saying, Black Mirror meets techno Twilight Zone and yada, 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 high concept and singularity, and we got none of that. We got goofy-ass, Ultron, Pym, AI, second-grader stories. But anyway, I'm holding out hope for this. We'll go from there. X-Men number 12 by Mr. Hickman and Linnell Yu on art. Well, we finally got more insight to what Apocalypse gets out of all this. I don't even know what this comment was about. (laughs) Well, basically, this is setting up a couple of things. I had to go through it twice to make sure I didn't miss anything in it. First off, Apocalypse is written so differently in the other books than he's written in Excalibur, it's not funny. It's almost not the same character. Just simply because he references stuff he's done in Excalibur, we have to acknowledge it is the same character. 
basically, this was the pre-story to Tribe of Mutants that Apocalypse ultimately came from in a different reality. And this is why he's established that gate in Saturnine's world in Excalibur, directly hmm. to Krakoa. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and his grandson is telling him, look, grandfather, here's what you've missed out on. Your wife is dead. They killed her. And there's hints that actually Storm is somehow a descendant or somehow connected to the wife of Apocalypse. Genesis. I don't think Genesis is actually dead. I think she shows up in the sword of uh, the Ten of Swords crossover, yeah. X of Swords crossover situation. We'll see more of her. But this is dealing with the island that you were concerned about before with the original Horseman, the island that rejoined with Krakoa. Yeah. This is more like preamble to the X of Swords crossover event and a couple of other situations they're setting up. But we're about to delve deeply into the character of Apocalypse. And we also see that part of the reason that Apocalypse has accepted Charles and Magneto's terms to come to Krakoa is because there's a ready-made army of mutants, of next-generation mutants on Krakoa that he could theoretically use to get his vengeance or retake the other world that he came from. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Does that help at all? Well, they just sort of like do this issue out of left field. It's like, eh, here's yeah. a, here's some apocalypse issue where well, it goes back. Yeah. We're talking about his home planet. Well, it's not his home. It's a it's a different realm. Dimension or realm or yeah, that's it. It's wherever. A I'm sure there's a Captain Britain in there somewhere. So. Uh, that's on the other end. That's on the Excalibur thing. But overall, I gave it a score of four. And that's because they were using the callbacks that they had set up with Apocalypse, like the rejoining of the island. This also kind of explains the arena situation where you have to battle to be reborn. It also plays into the training that the Beast was suggesting, forcing some mutants into training for war. I gave the Art of Five and the Riding and Dynamic of Four. Fair enough. It's a good issue. Yeah, it, it's a good issue. It's beautiful to look at, but this is largely preamble, yeah. just like Excalibur and to a lesser degree, even Captain America was to the X of Swords, Ten of Swords event that starts next week, which I'm cautious about, but also it, I'm cautiously optimistic. Sick, man. So I've got to trust it'll be good. Immortal Hulk number 37. This was, again, your pick of the week, Albert. Writer Al Ewing. On the book, and artist Joe Bennett. Well, I'm glad someone's finally acknowledged that Rick Jones is a weirdo in this comic. <laughs> <laughs> this whole comic would have been solved if someone would have just been like, you know, we're a bunch of crazies, but Rick Jones, he, he's a whole nother level of crazy here. Well, he kind of has to be, given his character history, but I mean, we know he's crazy for a different reason yeah. in this book. This book is like 25% superhero comic and 75% pulp sci-fi horror. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Even given all of Peter David's run, as much as I love Peter David, there, I've never felt a more perfect fit for the Hulk and his irradiated supporting cast than this comic. Yeah, they do every character. You know, they use all the characters to their fullest. They really, really do. Ewing has a plan, and you can really tell he's got a plan for it. It's one of the best, if not the best, out there. I go back and forth between this Thor and the X-Men. It's an outstanding book all the way around. Uh, highly, we, yeah. we cannot suggest this book enough. We've said that repeatedly. I'm just going to say, look, fives across the board, Immortal Hulk number 37. Yeah, it's straight fives. Thor number seven, writer Donnie Cates, 
and art by Aaron Cooter. First Kate's story arc in Thor was going to be a hard act to follow, but he certainly seems up for the challenge with this issue. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to call Tony Stark's phone number. (laughs) (laughs) 212-970-4133. Let's put it on speakerphone. Yes, this is Iron Man. However, due to some big blonde jerk, I no longer use this number. But hey, nice try anyway. For all things Tony Stark, please visit www.tonystarkironman.com and uh, try and stay safe out there, yeah? I'm busy enough as it is. <laughs> that was an That's... awesome little Easter egg. It was, wasn't it? And I, I didn't know I didn't know what it said. I just thought about it right here when we was earlier. I was like, I was slipping through Thor again. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'll call that number. That's not a 555 number. That's a real number. That's a real number. Marvel set it up. It was very clever. I called it as soon as I saw it. I stopped reading the comic. I wasn't aware that Thor could use the hammer as a text message machine. New to me. (laughs) But apparently Thor can change the wording on the hammer. Well, I guess so. He's Odin for all practical purposes. He's Odin. Whatever whatever enchantment he wants to whisper on it. Yeah, Thor is a different power set now. I thought it was wonderful. I think the dialogue between him and Beta Ray Bill was great. I think the continuing setup's good. And I'm not nearly as mad as you would have thought I would have been about the hammer being lifted situation. Oh, I didn't didn't think you'd be all that mad about it, to tell you the truth. Well, that's something that irks me because of all the times in the storm. Storm can lift the hammer. No, Storm cannot. Superman can lift. No, Superman cannot lift the hammer. All the backs and forth and the technicalities on it. And how do you know you're worthy? And blah, 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 and all this crap. But given the situation that Thor is basically Odin now, and he's having trouble uh, with Mew Mew, with Millionaire, I'm down for this story. Very much enjoyed it. I'm curious where this goes. And I like the fill-in artwork. Cooter yeah, is a Cooter's guest artist. great. He was, yeah. uh, they used him a good bit during the New 52 run of Superman comics. Yeah. Um, I think he's on action. That's what he was on. But he did some great work on that book, even though he I did. didn't care for the writing, but his art was fantastic. Really knocks it out of the ballpark with this. It, it's a good book. Thor number seven, still very much worth your money. I gave it fours across the board. I gave the art a five and writing the name of four. Good enough. So Albert ranked it even higher. Yeah, I should give. I'm going with Albert. I'm going to change my score, writing a dynamic of four, art of five, because Cooter was really good in this. He was. Anything else? Oh, uh, just the biggest news ever. What is that? The NFL started this week. Oh, God. (laughs) The NFL. (laughs) Are you ready for some football? Look, man, the biggest news of the week is that Kurt Busiek is going to be writing, a, I think, a five-issue miniseries with Namer, and it starts in December. And I can tell you, I ran around my house screaming with joy for at least five minutes when I saw that news. That's not big news. It is big news. It ties into the Noel event, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the bad news. (laughs) I don't necessarily think this is going to be. You know, I've got more hope for Null than I do the X of Swords crossover thing. Well, I had no desire to read about the Null event, but now I may have to because apparently there may be Atlanteans in it. It's going to be set like the Invaders. There's going to be a modern framing of it, but most Mm -hmm. of it's going to be set in the past, like in 1936, I believe, before Marvel Comics 1. The second best thing about this is that 
it's going to have Lady Dorma. And if you don't know who Lady Dorma is, she's like my favorite of Namer's ladies. I'm telling you, they're setting up a Marvel Cinematic announcement for it. Oh, I doubt that. But I was just thrilled, thrilled. And then, of course, Jason Aaron had to pop my bubble today with the new. Oh, with that Phoenix stuff. Oh, my gosh. And did you see that the, the new costume for Namer? It was like, what? Why in the world would you get rid of that gorgeous Copiel co- Namer costume for that thing? It was horrible looking. I don't and the know whole what, premise is just, ugh. Yeah, I don't know what we're doing this for. We talked about this last time we reviewed Avengers. They're not this ridiculously powerful. Stop. I, I don't like this. I, I just, I'm not enjoying the Avengers. And now once we get through with Moon Knight being the most powerful being in the universe, since Hickman is not using the Phoenix... Here comes the Phoenix to the Avengers. This lessens what the Phoenix Force is. Now well, it's, it's just willy-nilly choosing people, apparently. And he's just reduced it to some kind of, well, you just have to duke it out, and whoever's sta- left standing is going to get the Phoenix. I'm like, yeah, really? Yeah, you've got a contest of champions mixed with the Phoenix, and I don't, I don't care. Next week's comics for the week of September 23rd, 2020. And we're just going down the list here. If anything strikes, I'll just holler out. Boom Studios, The Unkindness of Ravens, number one. And the blurb on that is, Not all the witches burned during the Salem witch trials, and the ones that survived did so together. Now, generations later, how many witches actually burned during the Salem witch trial? Wasn't it like five? I don't think it was more than 20, was it? Not enough, apparently. (laughs) Some of them survived. For some reason, I seem to recall that 20 people were eventually executed as witches. But contrary to popular belief, none of the condemned were burned at the stake. In accordance with English law, 19 of the victims of the Salem witch trials were instead taken to the infamous Gallows Hill to die by hanging. Okay, so nobody was burned at the Salem witch trials. It was all because people ate a bunch of bad potatoes. I thought it was bad bread. Well, that's you're isolated in a small town and you get one zealot pastor that wants to control everything. And this is what happens. You get a Jim <laughs> Jones situation. Well, Maybe anyway. Food poisoning. Food poisoning, yeah. Anyway, the blurb to the unkindness of Ravens, number one from Boom Studios, is once again, not all the witches burned during the Salem witch trials. Hey, turns out none of them did. <laughs> And the ones that survived did so together. Well, better out than in. Wilma is the new girl in school, and she plans to go completely unnoticed, except that she bears an eerie resemblance to the Raven member Waverly. And Waverly just went missing. I don't know. How's that strike y'all? That's a number one. This seems horrible. (laughs) I think that there's an audience for it. It's obviously not you two, but I think there's an audience for it. Um, what, what audience is that? Like the Sabrina, the teenage witch, <laughs> the three other witches that survived. I mean, the, I've read the that burnings comic. that never happened. <laughs> Y'all are so so critical. <laughs> I mean, it's not my cup of tea, but I think there's an audience for it. Let's put it that way. I mean, yeah, this is the, this is only like the 500 book about witches we've got this year. Yeah, well, what can I say? Well, look how many vampire books there are. (laughs) Out of the 500, how many of them bothered to consult Wikipedia on how many witches burned? (laughs) God. (laughs) All right. 
Now, also from Boom Studios, I want to bring this up because we've been remiss in this, and it's been a good book. I've been reading it all along. Wind number four comes out next week. That's written by James Tinian the fourth. Also, has he prefers his fans call him T four, at least according to us. And art by Michael Dialinus. Wind is a good book. Albert, have you been reading that? I don't think I have. They've got multiple reprints of it out there. That's Wind, W-Y-N-D. It really is a really good adventure book, and it shows Tinian's range. I would recommend taking a look at that also, and we should have reviewed that at least once or twice, but we screwed up and haven't. From Dark Horse Comics, next week, Avatar, Last Airbender, their little trade paperbacks, volume 17 and 18 hits. Hidden Society, number three, comes out. Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy, number four. You got to give it to Dark Horse for just even hanging in there, don't you? Yeah, after Marvel keeps stealing all their properties. That's true. They still exist. <laughs> well, Dark Horse is putting out aliens, aren't they? The alien, no. the, the current alien book? No, Marvel stole that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the current alien book that's being put out, the one oh, that's based the on the original script. Yeah, the screenplay. And, and they didn't steal that. They just have the rights to it. Things change. Dynamite books coming out next week. George R.R. R. Martin, A Clash of Kings, number seven. Multiple covers to that, but the number of covers to that comic pale in comparison to Dynamite's Vengeance of Vampirilla, number 10, which I think has about 12 different covers to it. And this is just like a regular issue of that, isn't it? They do other books like that. That's where they're making their money. That's where they also got in trouble with the uh, comic skate thing, is oh. their variant covers. Are we able to tell that story without going into great, great, a lot of comic skate BS? No. No, we, <laughs> no, we talked about that story. That's where the whole Jay Lee thing came out of. Oh, the Jay Lee. such Oh, God. Yeah, yeah because that. Dynamite, not only do they have their tons of variant covers, but they also let any artist that wants to can pay Dynamite to do a run that has the, their covers on it and then sell it at a con. And that's what they did. Okay. Multiple covers from Dynamite on two books that they'll be releasing next week. IDW Comics next week are going to be Canto 2, Hollow Men, number two. Judge Dread, False Witness, number three. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, number 90. Number 90, Albert. Mm, good for them. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, number 32. Star Wars Adventures Clone Wars, number 5. Transformers vs. Terminator, number 4. And Voyage to the Stars, number 2. Anything jump out at y'all there? Mm, no. <laughs> I can't say that it does. Very well, then. Image Comics next week. 20XX, number 6. That's one of the virus books that we reviewed a couple of times and then fell off of by one of the Luna brothers. Oh, it was that one? Yeah. Yeah. We may go back and revisit it. I don't know. It turns I just, out we were living it, so we just keep yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know how it turns out. I want to be surprised like everybody else. After Realm, number 3. Black Magic, number 14. Bliss, number 3. What is Bliss? I thought y'all read the first two issues of that. Did really we? made an impression, didn't it? <laughs> oh, we read the first issue of this. Okay. There's a drug called Bliss wiping away memories in Feral City. 
a good-hearted young man overwhelmed by a deathly sick child and distraught wife, makes a deal to become the personal hitman to three gods, killing those in their way and sending memories down the river of oblivion. That must be where our memory of reviewing the book went. (laughs) Down the river of oblivion. Dead Body Road, Bad Blood, number four. Boy, that's a hell of a title. Gideon Falls, number 25. Virgin Brides, number three. Low, number 25. Nomen Omen, number nine. Savage Dragon, number 252. And one that we're actually looking forward to, Undiscovered Country, number eight. How often does Savage Dragon come out, Albert? I think he tries to do it as regularly as possible. I mean, is it once a month or once every two months? Or um, that I don't know. That's all Eric Larson does, isn't it? I'm, I mean, I'm sure he takes commissions and such. Well, he had that Marvel work the past year. Yeah. Well, that what did too. he do for Marvel? <laughs> he did uh, Captain America: The End. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> he did a few other things. I'm gonna say a couple covers. Well, Captain America: The End is enough. We don't want to tax him. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel Comics next week. Daredevil number 22. We've reviewed Daredevil a couple of times. That's a heck of a book. We'll do a review of it next week also. Fantastic Four Antithesis number two. Immortal She-Hulk number one. Will Al Ewing save She-Hulk? And then, ironically enough, Juggernaut number one. (laughs) God. Crossover. Maestro number two comes out. Marvel's X number five. Spider-Man number four, Spider-Man Noir number four, Spider-Woman number four, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number five, True Believers X-Men Saturnine number one, True Believers X-Men Soul Sword number one, Venom number 28, and X of Swords Creation number one. Albert, what are you expecting from the X of Swords event? Ten of Swords event. I would guess a bunch of swords. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Albert Marsh. Now over to weather. <laughs> I mean, it's, isn't it? Isn't it supposed? <laughs> isn't I mean, it I'm not supposed... expecting any guns, but I assume Cable would show up. I mean, he's got one of the swords, don't he? Well, okay, he's got a sword. <laughs> Magic has a sword. Mikhail Rasputin stole the Cerebro sword. Wait, aren't they going to be using thermonuclear weapons? <laughs> No guns, just thermonuclear weapons. <laughs> oh, it's swords. <laughs> what about daggers? Well, Cable's got some Rob the Space Knight sword or something. Yeah, and he did use a thermonuclear weapon. <laughs> so Sandra's not too far off base. I think Knot Fist is going to be in it. <laughs> Damn, Sandra called the last Cable story and she hasn't picked up a one of the X-Men books. <laughs> What do you think those pouches are for? <laughs> uh, I'm hoping it's good. I'm not looking forward to it, but well, it's Hickman behind it. So, well, yeah, but isn't it Hickman and the gal that does Excalibur? I think there's going to be something. I, I do I, not I, like Excalibur. I I really do not like Excalibur. From somebody that has not read anything but the uh, news articles, I'm thinking it's going to have to do something with Captain Britain. Maybe they'll finally bring him back. And treat no, him no. decently. But it looks like it has something to do with Apocalypse. Are those Egyptian characters? Um, no, those, that's those, the mutant are they, language. They're what? The mutant language. They have their own language. The characters are the font that you're seeing. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the Egyptian new characters, the Anubis that's dancing with 
Oh, um, with those are probably Egyptian characters. Yeah, so I'm saying, are they like new horsemen for Apocalypse? I couldn't tell you. It, it, reading the Egyptian hieroglyphs, that's kind of tricky. I always get the vowels mixed up. There's exactly one person listening to this podcast that got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Once I'm you like, figure out the vowels, the <laughs> you should be fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those vowels uh, and pictograms are just yeah, really I don't know tough. Who the, I don't know who the, those people are. I don't, I don't think I remember seeing them in anything. No, they're new. One of them is supposed to be Wolverine's worst enemy from now oh, and forever. Yeah. And we're, I'm like, we're, what? We're introducing Wolverine's worst enemy again. Yeah. Again. again. Yes. Yeah. Let's see. Who has it? We've gone through Sabretooth, who was absolutely nothing to Iron Fist and Spider-Man, but then became powerful enough to be Wolverine's counterpoint for God knows how long. And then Sabretooth got old, so we brought in Omega Red, and that lasted 15 minutes. Who else have we... Now we got vampires. Uh, Dakin. 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 Dakin or Dakin? How you say his name? Bacon. I, I said Dakin with a D. His son. I kept thinking, Bacon? Like Canadian Bacon? Is that a Canada joke, Albert? <laughs> Moving on to DC Comics for next week. <laughs> Action Comics number 1025, wrapping up Bendis' run. Aquaman 63, Batgirl 49, Batman Beyond 47, Batman Superman 12, Books of Magic 23. Oh, and look, Dark Knights, Death Metal, Speed Metal, number one. Another one shot. <laughs> Is it really Speed Metal? <laughs> speed Metal. Dark Knight's Death Metal Speed Metal. Oh no, no, that sounds fine. I'm sure that'll look great in a logo. <laughs> Slap it on there. Flash number 762. That'll be the Williamson's last issue with the Flash. Justice League Dark number 26. Last God number nine. We need to get back and review that again. You've been keeping up with that book, I haven't you? Up. I read that book every time it hits. Yeah, it's a good book. I need to catch up a couple of issues, and we'll talk about it. Sandra would like that book. That's a good book. Has nothing to do with the DC universe. Oh, I think that I, I saw the art for that. It looked uh, the covers at least are look look really uh, good. I'll the have interior to... art spectacular. Okay, all right. Yeah, everything about it spectacular. It's a very good book. Looney Tunes number two fifty six, Shazam number fifteen, and Suicide Squad number nine. There, that is your roundup for books coming out the week of September 23rd, 2020. That should be the last issue of Shazam. Oh, is it? Yeah, and I don't even think it's written by Johns. I haven't got a listing here for who's writing it. I could be that wrong, be but I thought, I thought, I'm pretty sure Johns wrapped up on 14 and 15, maybe, I don't, I don't know what it is, but all right. Loveless writes it? Okay, could be, yeah. So the current rumor is that an Ant-Man, well, it's not really a rumor. IMDb has it as fact, but somebody that we've come to know and love from Lovecraft Country, Jonathan Majors, who plays Atticus Freeman in Lovecraft Country, apparently he is going to be Kang in Ant-Man 3. Yep. That's a surprise. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. He's got the best acting on the show of uh, Lovecraft Country to me. Yeah, they exited Courtney B. Vance. I think he's supposed to make a couple of more appearances in Lovecraft Country. But it's not just that. Jonathan Major's face, he's got this very regal, and it can be a arrogant face as well. 
It seemed like until they got rid of Thanos that there's just a bunch of characters that they couldn't pull the trigger on. Yeah. And Kang was one of them. So Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Sandra, are you excited? No, I mean, no, not really. I just hope that I'm fine with whatever they do with the mask, the face part of the mask, but it looks like his face is stuck in a Lego brick or something. I don't know. I, or like a Devo the, helmet. I hope they find another way to present that in the No, in the they MCU. need to make it a giant fishbowl, old underwater diver thing. God. <laughs> just like in the old comics, just a huge head. The diving bell helmet. The, like, yeah. The, uh, the, he, like the, the one that... The, 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 <laughs> That's the sound it makes when you hit his head. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, in typical, I, I in typical f- fashion, I assume any story involving Kang will just be different versions of Kang fighting other versions of Kang. It's got to tie in to the quantum realm and time travel. If it is Kang, that's another interesting way to bring in the Fox properties since he's time traveling. But well, it could I, be. You've got several doors into that. Uh, Doctor Strange and now this. Isn't there a rumor that they're trying to bring in the Young Avengers? Okay, there, there's a rumor about the Young Avengers. And then one of our contributors contacted me and said, watch out, here comes Gladiator. Gladiator? Yeah, I can see where both sets are coming from. But these are both, uh, this isn't as solid as the information on Kang. Yeah. This isn't even as solid as the information I said a few weeks ago about Allison Bree being She-Hulk, being Jennifer Walters. This is more in a speculative stage right now on the Young Avengers and Gladiator. But I can see Gladiator quicker than I can see Young Avengers. What does Gladiator have to do with Kang? Well, he doesn't. And I'm not saying Gladiator's coming in for Ant-Man 3. I'm saying that in the next phase, our contributor said that he sees signs that Gladiator's coming in. Well, if you got Gladiator, you got Lalandra. Yeah, or you got the Shi'ar Empire. And I was about to Shi'ar. say the Shi'ar. You got all that. You, you got. You're like two steps away from the X Men. But the Shi'ar could have already existed in this universe, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We just haven't seen them yet. Yeah, I'm sure they have. Yeah, that's an easy out on Gladiator and the Shi'ar. Young Avengers is going to be a little more difficult because you have to have Kangas. St- well, you don't necessarily. Just depends on how they do them. I mean, you know, you've got Kate Bishop that's coming up in the Disney Plus Hawkeye uh, television show. Oh, they'll do they'll do Avengers Forever eventually. Oh, that'd be great. Some version of that. They'll, they'll do some type of hodgepodge well, movie version. But I think you know, if they want to do a cool Avengers movie, Avengers Forever would be a cool Avengers movie. I agree. Speaking of all that. Luke Cage and Iron Fist become available to Disney Plus to license. In other words, Luke Cage and Iron Fist are freed from their Netflix licensing next month. So Disney Plus can have the option on rebooting them or just simply continuing the programs over at Disney Plus. I wouldn't be surprised if we heard something about that. Daredevil is still a little ways off. So we could hear some news about Luke Cage and Iron Fist, whether they continue with the setup from Netflix or whether they just start something completely new. What do you think? I thought the Luke Cage stuff was really good. I thought Iron Fist was kind of weak. but Iron uh, Fist, didn't care for that, didn't care for Defenders. I didn't care for the Defenders either. Luke Cage was good. Daredevil stuff was good. I thought Jessica Jones was good, too. That Punisher show, I didn't really care for it. They only did one season, didn't they? I think. Yeah, I was good with the one season of it, but I liked him better in Daredevil. 
Yeah, well, I think Daredevil did a better job of establishing the character and, and moving it along and plotting everything. But Lord, that Punisher show just... It's the problem I have with a lot of Netflix shows. They're really just movies yeah. that are extremely long and cut up in the episodes. The middle chunks of the seasons are just nothing. Yeah, they have to be paced for 13 episodes, rather, or 10 or 13 episodes, rather than, you know, say, a three-hour movie. Yeah. What I'm saying is I guess we're going to find out the fate of the Netflix series sometime uh, before the end of the year, given that Luke Cage and Iron Fist's television or streaming rights are back in the hands of Disney away from Netflix. I I think they just have enough on their plate. I don't, I mean. It's a different world now. Disney Plus, Disney Plus, HBO Max, they can't sit on their laurels. They've got to continue developing and continue to get uh, stuff out there. They're not going to hit it all at one time. You've already got a scattershot of Scarlet Witch's program, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, and the other Disney Plus shows. They do have to make movement on the other stuff they've already announced before we get around to anything else. This also maintains a certain level of interest and excitement when they make announcements. Like, we're working on Luke Cage, we're working on Power Man and Iron Fist, or we're announcing Power Man and Iron Fist, and then suddenly everybody on YouTube is once again a Power Man and Iron Fist expert. The one thing I don't get about streaming services, uh, and HBO used to used to show, and they may still do it, but on television, HBO would always do things like if a big movie came out or something. Yeah. They'd always have like a behind-the-scenes special and stuff like that. Well, you see, Disney Plus is doing that. They've got the behind-the-scenes on The Mandalorian, behind-the-scenes on Rise of Skywalker, behind-the-scenes of... Uh, I, I even saw something on Lady and the Tramp, the live-action version, as well as Pixar and stuff behind-the-scenes. But they don't yeah, push you're, it much. Well, yeah, you're right. HBO has cut down on that, although I have seen some behind-the-scenes or making-of stuff on HBO Max, including Game of Thrones. Well, some of it you see it is just in with the movie, but yeah, to me that's something you should just sort of advertise. Like if a movie's about to come out, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, like throw that on HBO Max before it comes out. They they used to do stuff like that. Yeah, you're right. They did used to do stuff like that, and I don't know why they're not doing more of it. Well, I wouldn't know if they are because I'm streaming everything. I'm not watching HBO itself. I'm watching HBO. No, but you, can, you just advertise it at the front of the streaming thing when it first loads. I, yeah, I'd be in okay. The feature, in the featured section that they always show you. Well, while we're in the neighborhood, have we all watched Raised by Wolves? Yes. The first episode, yes. What did you think, Sandra? I really liked it. Yeah. It was great, wasn't it? It was pretty awesome. And it is directed by Ridley Scott. I'm not surprised. That man is a visual genius. God, he, he's fantastic. And that show was just amazing. That Prometheus and Aliens movie he did, I, I, you know. I yeah, but they looked good, didn't they? They looked pretty amazing. Oh, it, it looked yeah, great. but I don't know. <laughs> the well, story this... wasn't any good on the Aliens and uh, the Prometheus stuff, but 
look, the cinematography and the visual effects were wonderful. I don't know who who's doing the writing, but wow. I mean, I was blown away. That first episode was just... And like, as the show goes on, it, it doesn't have the problem that I mentioned with the Netflix shows. Like, every episode feels like an episode. And in every episode, it moves the story forward, and you get stuff out of it, and... If you've only watched the first episode, Sandra, you're going to fall in love with this. This is really... Oh, I, I was already pretty uh, falling in love with it. It was it was amazing. So I guess, and we're going to be careful here. We don't want to spoil too much. But I guess at some point, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, any religion on Earth, sometime between now and 100 years from now, when the war takes place on Earth, just says... We're worshiping the sun. <laughs> yeah, As like it's not, it's not, it's a very vague religion. Well, it, it, their god is Saul, S-O-L, Saul. I thought it was Mithras. Yeah, like it's a real religion from my understanding. Yeah, right, Mithras oh, very, is, uh, is a Roman religion, yeah. Well, they keep referring to Saul, and I just thought, did we just decide to, you know, package it all together and... Well, they they obviously have have pulled from those the other religions because, like in the first episode, I don't think I'm giving anything away here. They're basically doing the communion, yeah. And there's priests walking around in priest habits and stuff. It looks like a very Catholic yeah, sort of situation. Yeah. Even their getups is something from the Crusades, almost exactly. Yeah. 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 They're more like the Knights Templar. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly the feel the soldiers have in the war. But also there's some stained glass in later episodes, and it has different icons Mm -hmm. on it. So I did not know that, Mithras. Okay. Yeah. All right. I've no. Well, I was thought that's what they were calling them. You got it right. They're calling. Yeah, they're saying Mithras. But as the episodes go on, you see more of what happened on Earth. I say Mithras. I, I, I've always heard of it like Roman, but apparently from I, Persia or from Iran. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm familiar. Uh, yeah. I knew there was a guy named Mithras. I just didn't connect any of this to what was going on in there. Yeah. But, well, because uh, it, it doesn't yeah. look like the only thing about Mithras that looks like this to me is Mithras was a favorite god of the Roman soldiers. So, I mean, that part when they had the guys show up looking like they stepped out of the Knights Templar or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. This is sci-fi at its best. Yeah. We're how many episodes in? Five episodes in, Albert? We are five total, I think. Five episodes in, and this is science fiction at its best. And it's beautiful to watch, and you're engaged in the characters. So far as it being a product of HBO, it seems to be taking, like, the best things from Westworld and the best things from Game of Thrones, if you need an analogy. See, I don't, I don't really get Game of Thrones. Or, I get more of like almost Dune out of this than anything. Oh, God. Don't I, start I, was, I was thinking again. Terminator in some ways because they have that great big war and they're trying to get off the planet. It doesn't look like Terminator, but there's, it gave, there was some vibe of Terminator there with the, the androids. What you, what you learn is that the androids are not making the decisions on their own. Okay. The androids are weapons. Is that fair to say, Albert? The woman is. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but, but the I androids think, I think, are like, I think in episode humans. one, you you already know that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And episode, yeah. like, it's the woman android is a weapon, where the man android was like a maintenance droid. Yeah. Well, I'll also say that if you liked the History Channel's The Vikings, the lead from that 
series is in, well, at least he was in the first two episodes. Travis Fimmel yeah. played Loft. Yeah, he's in more than that one. Marcus. Yeah, here he plays Marcus, but in Vikings, in the Vikings, he plays Ragnar Lothbrok. Wow, brain cramp. Okay, so Travis Fimmel was the lead in Viking, and he played Ragnar Lothbrok, and he's in this. Okay, that's um, why it looks so. To finish off the Raised by Wolves review, I'll say I highly recommend it. This gets all fives from me. When we finish, I'm going to fire up my computer again and finish watching. This and the biggest, and the biggest thing between Raised by Wolves and Lovecraft Country is the budget. Really? Are, are they spending more on Lovecraft Country? No, the Raised by Wolves would have to be a way, way more expensive show than Lovecraft. Lovecraft looks, 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 looks of... plain cheap in some instances. I think I, it's, I kind of think I it's, think it's supposed to to look cheap yeah. yeah i don't know i think there's cheap and there's like low budget we'll debate about lovecraft country next week that's going to wrap up this week's kingdom casts podcast i'm going to go ahead and say this we've got a special podcast in addition to our regular podcast that's coming out so email us your avengers questions the guys responsible for the book avengers assemble Van Plexico, David Wright, and Joe Crow are going to do a special one-hour program with us, answering all of your Avengers questions, yes, even the Carol Danvers and her son thing. Send in your Avengers questions to KingdomCasts, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com or KingdomComics at gmail.com. And of course, send us your regular questions, your comments, anything else, something you'd like to hear, something you just want to get off your chest. Let us know. We're happy to hear from you. Again, thank you all so very much for tuning in and listening. We're thrilled to have you and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Kingdom Comics and Kingdom Casts. C-A-S-T-S. We're going to sign off this week, and I'm going to ask a question of you both. Do you think that Magneto could make Colossus's butt cheeks clap? <laughs> In more ways than one. <laughs> I thought I wasn't drinking my Coca-Cola at that point. <laughs> there you go. That's right. We're signing off with a special question. Thank you all so very much. Share us with your friends. Share us with your enemies. Share us with people you don't even know. Go out there, make a friend. Share Kingdom Cast's podcast with them. Thank you both again. Sandra, you got anything to say? Still on the butt cheek thing? No, no. I'm 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 still contemplating my wonderful news that Kurt Fusiak is doing a miniseries with Namer. Now if they can only get an ongoing. <laughs> Albert, you got anything to say? No, I guess not. <laughs> all right. Thank you all once again, and we will talk to you next week. Tell them good night. Good night. Good night. Goodbye, everybody. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. brain went blank.